Hello and welcome to Experience Our Ally at Work. Today I'm speaking with Marie Carroll, who has a long and impressive career in community, whereby she started as a social worker in the field in Ireland and then moved into leading in community development and now represents uh, various organisations at a board level and consults extensively using her skills in psychodynamics. Marie has had to learn a great deal about working in the communities where one is and what it takes to truly work with participation and issues of power and control. I look forward to speaking with Marie and understanding what she has learnt from experience being her ally at work. Hi Marie, how are you? Good, thanks Rebecca, very good. Great to have you with us today and as is my practice, my first question is when did we first met and did we learn anything? Do you remember? I do, I do. I mean, I, we met, um, I can't remember, was it four or five years ago, but we met at an Irish group relations conference and we were both on the staff at the time. And I think um, you'll agree, well, we were all working really, really hard. They're quite intense experiences, both for the participants and the staff. And uh, so, yes, we used to kind of uh, land into lunch, you know, race in, race out, just always, always quite pressurized. But in the downtime, I thought, uh, yeah, we had great conversation and made really good connections. And I think ideas were always bubbling up. So I loved getting to, to know you. And uh, there was also a bit of... Um, I think the O'Rourke Irish uh, uh, predisposition towards some authority that emerged, and we had a lot. We we actually did a lot of fun, didn't we? Um, we did. As well as well as uh, working quite hard. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. I particularly remember red wine and, yeah. and yeah. talking about our experience of gender, actually, and what that had been like for us in our careers yeah. yes well certainly the red wine um was a feature <laughs> because if we it was sort of being monitored and measured i think in the staff room <laughs> probably we, for the best Murray, probably yeah for the yeah, best. yeah but uh that's so that was that was part of the fun side but i suppose yeah the gender well gender we certainly got into and i think um we both had I suppose, obviously, have had long careers. Mine probably longer <laughs> than, than than yours, or at least a decade, probably longer at it. But I think um, uh, the gender dynamics were alive and well at the conference as well, and we 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 did talk about our own experiences, our lived experience of being women leaders. Um, and I do know from my own point of view, um, I. I can see when I look back at massive, I suppose, changes over the years in terms of how I took up my leadership role. And, and part of that was actually coming to grips or understanding better where uh, gender um, came into it. So, um, so yeah, I thought we had uh, really stimulating conversations. So and continue to to this day. We do, we do indeed. Yeah. And Marie, thinking about so you know the experience of gender as as we move through leadership is one part. There's so many dynamics, isn't there, to contend with. 
and in your origins, you began in social work. Mm. So are there any links to where we've started in terms of um, dynamics or gender? Or, mm. or where would you like to begin when you reflect on that part of your career? Well, I suppose at one level, when you think about it, uh, gender and social work, which is my first uh, profession and uh yeah it's it's there are far more women uh than men in the area of social work so it there was a kind of a there was a greater draw for for women to this kind of work and no doubt um you know that's that i i kind of fell into it well i chose it but i fell into it as well so yeah i i when i look back over the different um career well different roles that i took up um they were always uh, the sort of wooden built built incrementally on the previous one and as i say social work was where i started out um and i suppose looking back i think I wouldn't have recognized this at the time, but uh, there was always, for me, an underlying uh, concern or a consciousness of power imbalance. And uh, so even as a social worker, when I was working with families that were in difficulty, um, I, I was always aware of, well, I became aware over time of the, I suppose, the structural causes of poverty, disadvantage, and the kind of policies that almost keep people in a place of um, uh, vulnerability, you know, various policies that, that mitigate against families and individuals being able to get the best out of life. So my, my early days, the work that I did was in a, a particular geography, which was a um, very large local authority housing area. And like many around Dublin, they were built in quite remote areas and were built without uh, the, the required or the necessary infrastructure. So families, many of them lone parents who would have been at home, perhaps sharing accommodation with extended family, were delighted to be housed, but found themselves in outlying areas without kind of the necessary supports. And many got along fine but there were very many also that struggled and um, I'd have worked with families um, with huge like I suppose uh, intergenerational unemployment um, um, with addiction issues where there was domestic violence child abuse um, and many of those yeah, may families they may uh, certainly poverty was a, was a common denominator uh, amongst many of them. So I suppose early on, um, I think my DNA, there was that kind of reaction to the power dynamic in a way and the imbalance and uh, the systems that didn't really support people. And I suppose in my DNA was always something that propelled me to want to do something about what I encountered or what I came across. When you think about your your family and your origins, Marie, can you see the links to why that may have been the case? Yes, I, I can really. Um, I mean, I didn't grow up, I, you know, I had a sort of a middle, middle income family, uh, but I was very um, privileged in that I had education, I had, you know, I had a caring family and I was educated and that but I suppose I think in our family DNA the origin was of um, mixed religion for a start which in Ireland was 
a big deal. You know, my parents, my father had, was a Protestant and raised in quite a different culture. My mother was a Catholic. And it, we were always fed the kind of, you know, the romantic story about how hard they had to fight to be together. But within that, there was a battle. And both got, were, were disaffected by their families. So I think in, in my DNA, there was this, um, first of all, neither belonging to one culture or the other. You know, there was some kind of, there was a, a merger of cultures and backgrounds. And so I grew up with that. Uh, but also uh, my, my mother was, um, well, had that very can-do, you know, very proactive. You do something about something if you don't like it. And uh, my father was the opposite, but a very kind of, a very nurturing, um, uh, but more family focused. And my mother was the one who ventured out. My father was the one who, who, um, who was very happy at home. Let's mm-hmm. say. So, mm-hmm. so the kind of combination I think I got, I inherited um, some of the proactivity of my, my, my mother's family and of my father's, some of the, the work ethic, I think, and do thing, this kind of bit over the top, but you, you do things right if you're going to do them at all. So mm-hmm. something about fairness, I think, there. So they're mm-hmm. just, yeah, little insights into early family stuff. Does that mean, Marie, you had to do mass and proddy church? Or you, it was one or the other? No, <laughs> no. I didn't really do either, to be honest. <laughs> Okay. So, so it was a bit of a duck and wave. Yeah, yeah. The blend didn't kind of survive <laughs> too well, you know. But I think it, what it does is it, it is there's an awareness and an openness to diversity and difference. In a way. Yeah, yeah. In a in a in a time and place that wasn't very open, was it? It was. Well, certainly for them, no. Like they they had you know priests telling my mother should be excommunicated and she the ring in the handbag for about a year. This kind of stuff, you know. Well, they're the stories anyway. But yeah. Um, yeah, it was it was a very strange period of time. But they and they were a product of it. And I suppose I inherited some of the um, no doubt uh, consequences and unconscious um, yeah impacts of all that. Yeah, of course, of course. So in the in the social work realm, you then my understanding is that you then moved into leadership after a time in practice. Is that is that what happened? Yeah. Next? Yep. Well, I suppose what I came across uh, was, I think, pretty intolerable in, in um, or just not okay in the community, that the wider community I worked in. So I set about trying to uh, put in some infrastructure in the locality that would actually support families in, in a sense. So I set about... Um, establishing a child and family centre and I, I I look back on that at the time I really didn't know what one looked like and um, so I got some experts in I got colleagues from the health board that I worked in involved and what's what really interests me is the learning of um from that whole experience when I look back I thought it would be a great idea a good idea to have local involvement in it um, and I put an ad in a local newspaper looking for residents to get involved in um, establishing this service that was going to be for them and others in the community and nobody answered a couple of sort of more affluent people from neighboring areas uh, offered to get involved um, but nobody from the community themselves and we went ahead without them 
Can I just ask, Marie, did you already have the funding? So you'd been funded to yeah, do Well, yes, yeah, I got this. I did. I had negotiated um, okay. funding. We didn't have a location at the time for it for about a year. It took us about a year to find a place. But yes, I got, I got, I negotiated that within the health board and was putting together the the governance, the you know, the infrastructure to support it and the expertise from people who know what was on the service. And uh, But I suppose what interests me now, I mean, this service is a thriving service 40 years later and Bernardo's a very, you know, a highly regarded um, NGO manages it um, and is doing a really good job. But I know that for years in the area, it really, people used it and it was for them but they didn't have a sense of ownership of it. Um, it. It wasn't of the community. It was for the mm-hmm. community. And I suppose that marks, for me, a kind of a transition into, into a different kind of leadership, that mark, that learning. Um, because, yes, it was successful and still is successful, but I think my uh, desire was for something that was more embedded within community and so I transitioned into community development kind of a more empowering work then. Okay so in your mind you didn't get the ownership with the centre that you would have liked based on that is that where I think I mean we the people who set it up had a sense of ownership and commitment to and it was providing a really good service but the local community didn't have any say they availed of it but they didn't have a say or a role in the oversight of it so they didn't shape it in a way it was it was shaped for them mm-hmm. and that's not necessarily a bad thing but it it didn't fit with my developing learning over time I wanted to actually be involved in in um, developments that were more owned and shaped by the people themselves in the the local communities. How long into the project until you realise that that's where you were at? Oh, I'd say, um, uh, I'd say it was, I actually had my first baby at the in the middle of it and as so, you do Marie uh, yes. <laughs> setting up a centre I remember yeah. bringing him to sort of management meetings and I'm sitting on the floor and pulling up pe- looking up people's skirts and thinking, oh my god it wasn't exactly the most professional <laughs> environment you know with this little baby crawling around and distracting everybody but charming everybody at the same time but I suppose it was again I suppose that's that's a Bit, I, I couldn't let it go during the maternity leave, so I was trying to kind of sustain something. But I think when over time um, somebody stood in, you know, for me while I was, well, you know, I did, had some involvement, but not enough to keep it going. So somebody stood in and actually took it up. And, uh, and I think I, with a bit of space and time to reflect upon it, I could see it was thriving and surviving. But it was, yeah, for me, I just think I had an awareness and, and a sadness, something in my head that told me this is great, but it's not really, it wasn't my, I, had, I think I had a different vision. Um, mm-hmm. I, I would say it, it emerged in the phase after it was established rather than during it, though I don't know during it that I couldn't get local engagement. Was the question as you then moved into, a, you know, more community development then for you, how do I do this? Because it sounds like you had a, a vision, 
Yeah. But perhaps the how wasn't fully exactly. Yeah. And I mean, I hadn't trained as a community worker. I was a social worker, you know, trained to do really one-to-one work with 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 clients and and families. Um, so this was learning, literally learning from experience as I went. So that's why when I said to you incrementally learning, that's what it was, just growing my own knowledge of um, of what work and also navigating with the, you know, with the reality of what was around me and the conditions over there and the people that were around. So, so yeah, I learned, I, I suppose I learned that it takes, it's much, how you begin really matters. That's the first thing, you know, mm-hmm. that you The genesis to, of anything. Exactly. Is yeah, exactly. Yeah. So yeah. you've got to start and even if it takes longer uh, and don't imagine that you know what's needed, you know, that's, you've got to kind of um, engage. And even if it takes much much longer it is so worth it because the time uh, later you know it's not even just a question of time it's about the very fundamentals of what um how something meaningful can grow within an area so I suppose I learned uh, patience um and time you know that it takes time to build trust and relationship and and I suppose yeah and that they're the foundation stones actually Exactly. And what, so in terms of moving from, you, you mentioned the social work practice. Yeah. And then you're in community development. So you were leading an organisation or a division or something in this well, state? You see, the leadership, you see, I always, I think about the, the leadership within social work has been, I was more a community organiser. I organised, okay. I gathered, I sought funding with others but i would have provided leadership definitely within that space then in community development it was a different kind of approach because it was much more about people themselves being leaders and it was much more using an empowering model which meant i was sort of leading from behind and and i was particularly working in a neighborhood that i grew to really love known as the most disadvantaged area say in 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 the county that um I was working in, and I suppose by way of background, the county that I live and work in is a kind of a bit, is a complete anomaly actually, because it has some of the most wealthiest people in the country. It is the wealthiest county, and all the famous Irish people you'd know, many of them live in in the county. And then there are huge, um, there are dispersed neighborhoods, you know, across the county of where there's a lot of disadvantage. And the problem with that all through my working life has been that it's it's almost invisible or it's masked by the um, by the wealth mm-hmm. and so therefore in this this poor investment there's a lack of recognition and in many respects the inequality that people are experiencing it's almost in their face because down the road and around the corner are the gated houses and you know big more affluent I, I mean okay they're they're not all mansions but there are areas where there are mansions <laughs> but um but what I'm saying is um it has been a lifelong challenge to try and get a kind of a more recognized um, um approach from government and from agencies and from the state to actually pay attention to these uh, to a county that is wealthy but actually when you unpick it and uh, you look around it's uh, it's got it's often i think worse off because of the lack of recognition and investment in um 
then one would get in more widely concentrated areas, larger say, mm-hmm. areas in other parts of the city. So, mm-hmm. so that's always been something. So there's always a bit of a, a bit of a battle on, let's say, to, you know, that, and that's part and parcel of this kind of work, you know. Marie, listening to you, I'm, and I just saw a giraffe sitting behind you. So there is a crazy oh. link to my <laughs> question. You know, having come, I, in my early years, I worked in development in Africa. Um, And so I'm sitting here wondering about the experience of being in community work in your hometown. Yeah. And what you had to really work out in terms of your practice, because I heard a shift in terms of social work practice into more community development. Now I'm hearing you're working in the very place that you inhabit. So what what did you have to really attend to in that looking back at that period Mm. well it's it's a very good question and not a a very easy one to answer um the i think just as i described the starkness of the experience for people in living in communities that are are in the past have been neglected i think structurally they're a lot better now but in the early days certainly um and the levels you know when you when you're in community and you see just what people are actually trying to cope with and you live a few miles away you know um and i think i did um have to do some work around my own privilege um in in this work and somehow i think in the early days i think i felt some shame around um being a have let's say if you call it that um yeah and and when i say have it wouldn't have been um wealth but it would have been enough mm-hmm. and more than and there were so many people who who didn't have enough so i think that was developmental work that i personally had to do um in my my own development mm-hmm. and then then you moved into more leadership roles so that was the next phase wasn't it so do you want to tell me yeah well i suppose uh, the the community piece of it was was probably 10 12 years of working and um, in the development of using the approach that i described to you where leading and uh, you know i was I, I was sort of and others other great um colleagues from I, you know, I loved the, the the range of colleagues on the ground in areas from other organisations. So there was that diversity in the work as well. And it was a together work, piece of work in a way. But I think the leadership from behind, I think there came a moment for me um, that I saw, again, going back to this incremental bit that I was talking to you about, that I felt both a personal development need, but that fitted or that was aligned to a professional um opportunity to have greater impact by coming out into a sort of a a more upfront leadership role and so so yeah. just to clarify so you you could see this role hurtling towards you <laughs> yeah. the, the leading an organization yeah. and so you realized though, that there'd be work you needed to do in, in terms of being truly able to take it up more fully. Is that the territory we're in? You were like, right, I've got some personal development work 
that could be useful here. Is that what I mean? Well, I probably didn't think of it like that, to be honest no. with you. It was, <laughs> we was, don't I, know. No, no. The learning is kind of when you when you're in the middle of it and, and then you seek opportunities to enhance your capacity okay. or be more effective but I didn't set out to do that um, so yeah I found myself in roles always in a way but had been reluctant to be sort of an out front leader and that was for a number of reasons I loved the autonomy of being able to move around um, I could say below the radar which seems very subversive but I had great freedom in what I could do and that to me was way more important than going up a, a, a career ladder uh, doing work that I loved and being free to do it um, so it suited me to to stay in a place and most of the time that worked really well when I had uh, you know good managers that encouraged it and then there were many that I had to avoid or circumnavigate in order to keep to continue with the work but I I um I think there came a moment when I, I, for me that was about I had more to offer in an upfront way I think and I think there was also a personal desire so despite the reluctance there was an urge or a desire to actually uh, be impactful in in a way by actually coming out I got offered I've got encouraged to take up the role of chair of a partner partnership companies were established in the 90s and they were made up of um uh statutory all the different state agencies uh, at a local level or, and um, uh, communities business trade unions and much later politicians um, but I loved the prospect of what they could do and I suppose having been an employee of the state and been deeply working on the ground in community at very you know on the coalface I was kind of in a good position to be able to bridge you know it's like this came after my learning and almost I was ready ready for um uh, taking up a different role with with uh, the different agencies and with communities and being a bridge and what development did I know that you did really pay attention to your you did development though I did yeah Marie and so so what was that like what what did you get into to assist you in the learning um I, I i suppose in the 90s there was a very um there was a lot of government support policy wise so there was training and development opportunities within communities oh, that i oh. really benefited from which is fantastic sure. it is fantastic um, yeah. um but i also i did a two-year or it was a year and a half i think um um, it was an advanced group facilitation program, but it was really transformative in terms of learning for me. And it was alongside community leaders. And again, I was getting so much more insight into the lived experience of people in communities. And they were getting insight you know, into um, having somebody who was working for the state as such on this. But it, it was a methodology that was really um quite Tavistock oriented in a way and it had, you know but there was also the additional piece of five rhythms in the movement uh, which I know you're familiar with but I found that year and a half really um armed me for working with complexity and across uh, across sectors in a way and with much deeper sense of the lived experience of people who come from within the community so that was that was really good um 
And I suppose as time, so I, I kind of sought out experiences like that um, over the years. And um, later, I, I, um, I took up a role. Uh, there was a pilot government initiative uh, that was to attempting to integrate services across nine government departments in relation to how they support and service the most disadvantaged communities in the state. So I left the local area that I had worked in for decades and moved into the inner city to work to lead out on a, a project there. And I suppose I got great insight there that at another level, because, um, you know, it was dealing with all the leaders that, of, the, um, of the different agencies and departments and getting them to work more effectively. So that... Um, I, I, at that time, I got the opportunity to go on to the Tavistock AOC programme, and that was a two-year programme as well that I think really um, helped me, and particularly in the next role I took up, which was as CEO of the partnership company in this county. Mm-hmm. So, um, so that was hugely helpful to me. So I did seek out uh, exper- and mostly experiential learning opportunities because that works best for me. Sure, I, sure. That's what works best for me than kind of academia. Sure, can't imagine why that would be so. <laughs> <laughs> but, but really what you were busy doing was learning about unconscious processes, yeah. how you showed up in the training system, how people responded to you, yeah. how you, and then what that then meant yeah, yeah. in your leadership, yeah. and and the embodied part with the movement. So with the what, movement, what gets revealed through our bodies, which is phenomenal. So. Yeah, it is phenomenal, and it's part of what how I learn how I learn best. And I think in terms of the CEO role, I took up. I mean, I would have been probably seen as a leader and recognized, known as a leader. But I think I had project managed and I had program managed, but here I was, you know, now the manager of a large, complex organization, one that I knew intimately because I had been involved in the, uh, you know, in it for so long. But it is such a different story getting into uh, the management of, of, oh. of an, a large organization with such complexity. So I mean, we grew it over the years, but when I eventually retired in, um, from it in 2014, six years ago, there were 400 people, you know, working. And, and like it wasn't just all, it's hard to describe, but if you understood partnerships, there were 100 core staff, there was local employment services, education, childcare, enterprise, you know, social economy, transport, child, uh, you know, from, and from cradle to grave initiatives. Yeah, yeah. Systems. yeah, yeah. And I yeah. loved the kind of the, it was challenging around uh, sustaining integration. And over years, it became really challenging because of policy changes um, in, in, um, in government. Uh, so it, it, but it was like during the 90s, and it was such an exciting, the second part of the 90s and the early noughties there was such a vibrant innovative work taking place and that was where my passion was I had to actually probably um learn and adjust and uh the the management side of it like we, we wouldn't have had HR resources we wouldn't have had proper financial infrastructure and we were really ambitious about what we wanted to do with with scarce enough funding and so we stretched ourselves 
to the limits um, in order to have an impact in communities. But actually, the the uh, increasingly the regulatory environment got tighter and tighter and governance issues. And it just um, was really hard to do innovative work. And we still did it, but it was the 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 policies at national the political level. navigation would have been incredible to try and manage in it. Yeah. yeah. But I and I think it would have sort of been a bit of an anathema to me because I would have actually started out thinking everything would be consensus driven and participative facilitative management style would be my natural way of working but actually we had really tough things to manage and uh, so there was a steep learning curve in terms of that and I do think the kind of experiential learning helped me enormously um, it helped me assess you know in a way, the psychodynamics part of it, what was going on in the organization, even though I know you can never fully um, read your own organization when you're in the middle of it, but yeah. consultancy and then, as I say, learning opportunities that gave me the chance to really stand back and think about my own effectiveness or ineffectiveness, at, you know, as well, and just um, definitely kept me more grounded and I was better able to navigate and in a way whole bring people with me you know uh, along that journey so i had a great i had a team you know that it's uh, i'm very proud of what we did together it wasn't it wasn't easy and there were loads of um tricky things like massive budget cuts and to make people um redundant on a number of occasions which was absolutely awful um but that's what you have to do when you when you take up that kind of role if, that's right if required so and marie i do i do want to understand in in the couple of minutes we've got left where are you now so this is experience across in the field you've worked across whole communities you've brought different um uh parts of the system together if you will across um social services you've worked very politically you've led um, and I know whilst, you know, doing your own very significant development and I know that you're consulting because we met um, at Group Relations, but what are you actually working on now? So what has all this incredible experience enabled? I think I'm in a very, in a good place, let's say. I'm in a very privileged place of being able to choose what I do and who I work with and I really love it. So I have a whole range of things that I'm doing. I do uh, as an individual, I work, I, I'm a leadership coach, provide role consultancy, and I work with some um, organizations on um, their processes and strategic planning, that kind of thing. And then I suppose I, I, what I really love is collaborations with, I have a range of colleagues all brilliant I think who you know in my view and they're fantastic I work with a woman on a leadership running a leadership development program and she's just a joy to work with and always learning alongside her and um, I work with somebody else on strategic planning someone I really regard and that's always very um very positive experience and then I have colleagues, uh, I work with a fantastic staff team on, um, on sort of group relations type work where we um, do some advanced training, some consulting to small groups, or we do group dynamic, making sense of experiences in groups. So there's a team of us that work together um, on that. And so 
yeah, I think I'm really fortunate to do all that. And I also facilitate process groups for MA students in psychotherapy and counselling, which I enjoy hugely. So it's, as you can hear, it's varied and work, it's work that I do myself, but also with a range of really, um, increasingly, I like the work with, um, with colleagues. It um, reminds me, I was, when I was in the US a couple of years ago, an older woman, I was much older than us, Marie, um, she said, I'm in my preferment, my preferment stage of career. That's yeah. such a great word. Yeah, well, yeah. certainly, in the, certainly that I just uh, pinch myself and think, you know, every day there's something really interesting or somebody really interesting to meet or something interesting to do. So um, I, I, I do feel really good about the, na yes, this current phase of my uh, my working life well thanks Marie it's it's been wonderful to hear some of your rich career and story and um and I'm sure we won't be hearing the retirement word anytime soon <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no I'll be I'll be I'll be working until the day I drop <laughs> so yeah listen lovely to chat with you Rebecca thanks so much and talk soon thanks Marie